Welcome to the Happy Holy Podcast. I'm Anna Marie Frank, a doctor of traditional naturopathy and certified brain health professional. Now, those of you that know Happy Holy You, you know that we are all about health and well-being, and we combine all the physical aspects, nutritional aspects, as well as the energetic and emotional aspects to well-being. So on this podcast, you guys, you are going to get a variety of information with different topics that can range from brain health all the way to how your energy field impacts your overall health and well-being. Now, let me remind you that we are not giving medical advice on this podcast, and these are just our personal experiences and information that we are sharing. If you do have any physical or any mental challenges going on in your life, we highly recommend that you seek a medical professional that you have a strong relationship with. All right, you guys, we are going to get started. So here we go. Hey, you guys, welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Happy Whole You podcast. Today, I have Dr. Gary Kaplan with me, and Dr. Kaplan is a clinical associate professor at Georgetown University School of Medicine. He is the founder and medical director of the Kaplan Center of Integrative Medicine, and he is the author of Why You Are Still Sick. So today, he's going to give us some great tips on pumping up our immune system, maybe give some tips on why you may still have long COVID. And this is really great going into the fall where it is cold and flu season. So pay attention, grab a pen and paper and take some notes, you guys, on how to boost your immune system. Here we go. All right, Dr. Gary Kaplan, thank you for joining me today. I am delighted to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Yes. So you wrote this really cool book called Why You Are Still Sick. And we're about to go in the fall season here. And so I figured this is a great opportunity for you to come on and give some great tips on keeping your immune system up and running. But first, what brought you to writing that book and got you to where you are today? Thank you. It's a bit of a tricky question because it's been an evolution over a large number of years. I typically treat people who are pretty sick. We treat people with chronic fatigue syndrome, people with fibromyalgia, people with a whole tower of babel of diagnoses that we have names for. Okay, now we have post-COVID syndrome, we have post-treatment Lyme syndrome, chronic depressions, non-responsive to treatment, PANS, PANDAS. So we have this whole group of diseases that we've defined by their symptoms, but not by the underlying disease process. As such, we're reasonably crummy at treating them, if they even get acknowledged at all. I served as an advisor to Health and Human Services on the MECSF committee for about four years, and it was the stories we were hearing, dissimilar from what I hear in my office, but they're heartbreaking. People who have been told that they're faking, that they're they're being gaslit by the profession, and it's just terrific. And so over time, as our understanding of this has improved, and my understanding of neuroinflammatory diseases has, has evolved since the early 2000s, I thought it was crucial to be able to reach out to people to say, we hear you, we see you, we understand, and there are solutions, more to the point. We have a path forward to getting you better now. And in the process of that, interestingly enough, the people who are very, very sick have also taught us how to keep the rest of us very, very healthy. <laughs> yeah. So with all that, what are you finding that we need to be definitely doing or definitely not doing? Well, there's a bunch of things and everybody knows the basics, but let's get a little 
little uh, more deeper. granular. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about sleep to begin with, right? Everybody knows you need to have sleep, and it's the one thing that people are most willing to sacrifice, but they don't know why, and it becomes really crucial. So one thing to know about is about 5% of people have this thing called sleep apnea, where you stop breathing during the night. That deprives oxygen to your brain. That sets your brain on fire. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you need to know is if you're snoring, if you're waking up unrefreshed, then there's a simple test called an Epworth, E-P-W-O-R-T-H. Look it up online. It will take you two minutes at most to take the test. If you come up with nine or higher on that test, you need to talk to your doctor and ask about the possibility of sleep apnea. So apnea, it's about 5% of the population and 85% of those people don't know they have it. So they're yeah. going to bed every night and they're waking up exhausted and they don't know why. They can fall asleep almost anywhere. They don't know why. The other thing is a condition called narcolepsy. Narcolepsy is this condition where it comes in two forms. The classic form is people laugh, have a strong emotion, they collapse. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the other non-classic form is the daytime hypersomnolence. You're tired all day long. You can fall asleep almost anywhere. And that so first you rule out sleep apnea, but if you've got narcolepsy, then what that's an autoimmune disease, and then we need to treat that. So let's back up for a second and talk about what it means to have your brain on fire. What does it look like? It looks like fatigue. It looks like difficulty with focus and concentration. It can look like generalized pain. Okay, you can have headaches. So there's a whole array of things that go along with this brain on fire business that are symptoms that may be overlooked. You say fatigue, well, your thyroid's fine, you're good. Not necessarily. You may, in fact, be very, very sick. And so we need to pay attention to this. And a lot of the people with this stuff start off minimally disabled, especially the younger people. But you'll also see it, by the way, as depression, all right, mm -hmm. anxiety disorders. Bipolar depression is a neuroinflammatory disease, mm -hmm. Okay. That, for that matter, so is multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, amyotrophic sclerosis, and Parkinson's. So they're all variations on a theme that how you express has to do with your genes, and it has to do with the particular types of assault that you've undergone. And so the model that's evolved out is genetics, okay? Then is epigenetics, and epigenetics is sleep is part of that, but epigenetics is on top of. Epigenetics are all the environmental things that turn on and off our genes and cause them to express or not. Most of our mm -hmm. genes are sitting waiting to go. Classic mm -hmm. example, celiac disease. 35% mm -hmm. of the population has the genetic propensity to develop celiac disease. Only 3% of them. them. But I can turn it on yep. or off with my choices. <laughs> you can. You can control this if you know it. Only 3% of people who have celiac, who have genetic propensity, actually ever develop it. So you need to look at what are the things that have weakened your immune system to begin to set you up for these problems. And you know these things, right? So this is, sleep is certainly one of them. One of the things that gets overlooked and not paid enough attention to is adverse events of childhood, a truly benign sounding thing for a horrible event. So mm -hmm. these are kids who have been abused through neglect or direct abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse. And they these abuse has very long-term consequences on your health. 15% of those people will at a higher risk of developing autoimmune disease. They're 25% higher risk of developing heart disease and diabetes. Okay, so they're not so benign and they need to be looked at as part and parcel of a whole recovery in terms of getting somebody uh, back to optimal health. So if you've had a very difficult childhood and you've had abuse issues or you've got PTSD for other reasons, 
those weaken your immune system. And those issues need to be addressed with somebody who is a trauma specialist and understands how to deal with this. Now, the flip side of this is if your brain's inflamed, we can see lots of psychiatric stuff. So we can see anxiety disorders and severe depressive disorders, most of which are not necessarily responsive to antidepressant medications. So for example, I have one young man, 17 years old, he attempted to hang himself severely depressed, multiple hospitalizations, multiple evaluations, nothing was working for him. They sent him to me because I'm a neuroinflammatory guy. And in process of working him up, what I found was he had celiac disease, full-blown celiac disease, but no gastrointestinal symptoms. Mm-hmm. About 5% of celiacs will not have upset stomachs, gas, bloating, diarrhea, but they will have a psych- they'll have either psychiatric or other neurologic manifestations of the disease. Which is causing inflammation in the brain and in the body. Absolutely. Impacting your mood and how you're functioning. I had a similar, I had a client as well. Parents divorced. One parent wanted to put on medication. The other said, let's find out what's really going on. Sent him down to the Amen clinics where he had a SPECT imaging scan to see the blood flow in the brain. Come to find out his behavior was really associated with inflammation in the brain. And so I think that's a very important aspect. And I love that you're talking about this because so many people are getting put on medications, especially when it comes to the brain. That's my wheelhouse. I love that for subjective feedback. There's a list of questions and then there's, okay, you're behaving this way, this, this, and let's try this cocktail. Whereas why are we not scanning the brain? Why are we not looking at the very organ that we're supposedly treating? You wouldn't do that with your heart, right? You wouldn't do that. With any other organ in the body. So I love that you're bringing this up because it's never just one thing. It is a combination of things. So, yeah. So, okay. So tell us Brilliant. what happened no. with, your, with your patient. Well, he, so we took him off gluten. We sealed his gut. We did a lot of work in repairing his gut microbiome. Within a year, he was hundred percent off all antidepressant medications, now depression. I've followed him now for about six, seven years. Periodically, he's fine. He's hundred percent. So you can get those kind of recoveries. I'll give you another example of we, which is somewhat criminal in the profession. So I saw a young woman who was 16 years old. She, and when she's 10 years old, she starts de- developing obsessive compulsive disorder. She starts cutting behavior. They hospitalize her. They're treating her psychiatrically. She gets a little bit better. She gets worse on some of the antidepressant medications. She ends up attempting suicide. They hospitalize her again. And so she's gone back and forth like this. Now she's 16 years old and I get to see her. Now imagine what the self-esteem is of this poor young woman who's been told she's been crazy all her life. Oh yeah. Right? Absolutely horrible. And she's been hospitalized psychiatrically and teenage kids are not the most understanding and forgiving people on the planet. Mm -hmm. So, So it's a really brutal situation for this young, except that when I started to work her up, she had Lyme disease, missed all along. And when we tested for the antibodies to her central nervous system. So here's the other big take home message. If you're sick, you don't feel good and all your tests are normal. We didn't do the right test. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is not about you're faking. Oh, get over it. This is about, we didn't do the right test. And so we need to believe our patients when they come in and we need to go, okay, let's start looking at things that we haven't thought of previously. Mm -hmm. Why did I write that book? How to book in order to help you understand why you're sick and how you can get better. We lay out all the tests that we do. We lay out the companies that we order the tests from. A lot of it you can do on your own. And a lot of it, once you get the information back, we teach you how to work with a physician and the questions you want to ask in order to be able to be heard, seen, and respected, which is the three biggest things that I find challenge most of my patients. So this young woman had Lyme disease. 
we've treated her for Lyme disease. Uh, now, I called the psychiatrist and I said, here's the problem. She got Lyme disease. She says she doesn't have Lyme disease. I said, <laughs> <laughs> okay, but she has full CDC criteria Lyme disease. Yeah. But what if she uh, did, right? Because like, isn't it psychiatrists or any MD, before you give any brain altering medications, you're supposed to rule out any underlying physical ailment first. Isn't that like true? Isn't that what's yes. supposed to be happening? Yes. 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 However, you got to know what questions to ask. And yeah. if, if your basic questions are what's your blood count, whether your liver and kidney functions are fine, how's your thyroid, how's your yeah. B12 levels, yeah. okay, you're, you're done. Mm-hmm. Except you're not. You haven't mm-hmm. even started the process because you haven't yeah. ruled out celiac disease. You haven't ruled out, you haven't ruled out chronic infections. So especially when you, when you look at PANS pandas, right? So PANS is pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome and pandas is specifically secondary to strep. Sueto did us a massive service in the process of defining these conditions for us. The objection I have is A, it's not just kids. So it absolutely happens in adults. They present a little differently. Disturbed by referring to it as a neuropsychiatric syndrome, even though it presents as such, but the reality of the matter is it's neuroinflammatory. And psychiatric is a piece of the manifestation because these kids can have rage attacks. And these kids, you know, I have one kid who did $10,000 plus worth of damage to the household before we get them under control. And in between these episodes of rage attacks, sweet as can be. Yeah, yeah. So with this young lady, they're telling me she doesn't have Lyme disease. And even if she had Lyme disease, it's not the cause of the problem. So now I'm fighting with the psychiatrist trying to convince her that, you know, no, this is a sick child. She's not crazy. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we went out and we got her treated. But yeah, people are not born crazy. <laughs> like there are no. so many other things that could be happening. And I think that we're so quick to give someone a label. And, you know, chronic depression is not normal. Feeling depressed and having depressive things that happen in your life, that yeah. carry, right? Having anxiety 24 seven, not normal. Have, being anxious, you know, once a month, twice a month, normal. That's a normal human experience because we feel these different things. But panic attacks are not normal. That is not normal. That is a very intense response to something else that is going on. So yeah, I think that, you know, we need to look definitely deeper. We need to look at people's foundations of health and you're right, ask questions, but it takes the person that's going to the doctor. We have to be the advocate for our own health. We know our bodies better than anyone else. And so that's where it's important that we show up. We ask questions. We keep, keep pushing, especially for the kids. I mean, I had a mom come in here and she was having, her kids kept getting sick just over and over and she does a really great job of feeding her kids well you know they have vitamins I mean she was doing everything she can and so I said we I scanned her and stuff and mold came up for her and two of her children and so I said you know go to the house look at the air filters just look at and she didn't find anything didn't find anything well then we said let's go to the air vents they went up in their air vents and there was mold in the air vent, got that taken care of the runny noses, the sickness, all that started to dissipate over the next couple of months. I mean, it was, and it was, it was just crazy. And, you know, she didn't want to put her kids on all these antibiotics and do all these things. And it was, and sometimes it's something very simple. It's just finding it. No, you're absolutely correct. And mold toxicity is a big deal. If you live in a water damage building, you've got a problem. Oh yeah. And 
the interesting and the challenging thing with mold toxins is not everybody is equally susceptible to them. So we're back to genes right. again. Right. So I have had couples where one spouse couldn't live in the house because they were so sick and the other one didn't have any impact whatsoever. And I've also had situations similar to yours where not just looking at the vent, but we've had people go in and remediate the house and the kids are still sick, the kids are still sick. And then I said, okay, I want somebody to stick a scope behind the walls, yeah. drill a hole, look behind the walls. We had one kid, their entire room was black mold. Yeah. The whole frigging room is surrounded with black mold. We got her out of that environment, addressed the mold issues on her. And that's covered in the book, how you test for it and how you can treat it. And some things are simple. I have another kid who was very sick for a long time. We tested her for heavy metals, right? No, yeah. Heavy mercury. Metals. Mercury through the ceiling. Why is there mercury through the ceiling? She eats tuna fish sandwiches every day. All right. The FDA wow. has said pregnant women should not eat canned tuna fish more than twice a week because of the mercury content. The rest of us should. The amount of mercury that's appropriate for your system is none. Mm -hmm. And this poor child was toxic for mercury. So you want to, you know, you have, if you don't think about things, you don't ask the question. So you've got to check for mold toxins. You've got to check for heavy metals. All right. The gut microbiome. All right. You got to run the gut. You got to find out what's going on. You can have bacterial dysbiosis. You can have overgrowth of yeast. You know, there's Clostridia normally is a bacteria that's normally in the gut. All right. If Clostridia produces both an endo and an exotoxin, what does that mean? One of those causes diarrhea. And that's the one we're most familiar with is the severe bouts of diarrhea after getting an antibiotic. But the other toxin is a neurotoxin. And it's relatively asymptomatic, except for the fact that your brain's all lit up. So what's happening now is you're, you've got an overgrowth of cholesterol here, producing HBHBA for cryosol, which is getting into the bloodstream, traveling up to the brain and poisoning your brain. So now your brain's on fire because you're getting poisoned from the overgrowth of bacteria in your gut. Additionally, if you find yourself with a ton of allergies, right, food allergies in particular, the most likely cause of that is your gut is not sealed. You've got a leaky gut. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is there's that barrier between, so the inside of your gut is outside your body, right? So there's a small mucosal barrier that separates that from the blood. And that mucosal barrier, that lining of cells, its job is to make sure only good things get into you. If it's swollen, the spaces between those cells open up. So they're called tight junctions for a reason. Those cells open up. And now what happens is large molecules can move into the bloodstream. Well, the body doesn't like large molecules. The body looks at large molecules and says, that is an antibody, is an antigen, and I'm going to make an antibody to that. So now what happens is you're allergic to a whole series of foods. And the way you have to treat that is seal the gut, eliminate those foods for a period of time, usually about six months, and then you can slowly reintroduce them. And lo and behold, maybe this is one or two you're allergic to, but not 70. So yeah. you need a whole person approach in the process of doing this. And so we take a very comprehensive history when somebody walks in. It's My histories are about two hours. Because I want to know, that, you know, the first thing I ask everybody is, when was the last time you were in excellent health? And they'll say to me, oh, three years ago before I got COVID. <laughs> cool. All right. And so now you start talking to them and you're running, running through everything. And you go, do you have any headaches? Oh, yeah, I get migraines. Really? How long have you had migraines? Well, since I was 12. Okay. Yeah, it's just normal. Like people accept this stuff right. as, as if it's normal. And where it's like this feeling bad is not normal. Like right. feeling bad all the time, getting headaches all the time. So let's be clear. Not sleeping. I have trouble falling yeah. asleep. I wake up multiple times a night. 
not so good. Yeah. Okay. And so now you get this history evolving and you start to find out, well, how's your digestion? Well, you know, I get gas, I get bloating, I get diarrhea sometimes. Normal. So as we're doing this, we're seeing a whole bunch of antecedent things that happened that set you up for when the infection comes along and your immune system now goes really haywire. Mm -hmm. So post-COVID, let's talk about that for a second. It's a little bit complicated. We think in terms of bugs that can directly attack the brain, and that's an encephalitis, all right? But then we have a situation where we have bugs that turn on the immune system. The immune system goes a bit haywire and starts attacking us. It's got an autoimmune process. And so now what's happened is you've got to get rid of the bug and you've got to treat the immune system. Step a little bit trickier. In a lot of these cases, COVID being a perfect example, there's no bug that you can grow out. So it's not like there's a living bug still in you that's creating the problem. Rather, what's happened is piece of the bug, and we believe at least in a number of people, it's spike protein. That's antigenic, meaning that it continues to annoy the immune system. And so it keeps firing and it keeps firing in a way that also attacks your own tissue. So we've got to identify as best we can, and we're not great at identifying the pieces of bugs that are left, but we can see the residual of them and treat accordingly. So it's not just enough to remove the toxins and stuff that have potentially entered your body. It's not just enough to address the underlying psychological issues that may be at play. It's not just enough to identify and treat the infections but now we have to pay attention to the immune system. And when we pay attention to the immune system, if that's gone rogue, what we're now looking at is either problems in the innate immune system, which are our first responders, or we're looking at problems in the acquired immune system, which is the antibodies and stuff we build. So on the innate side, basically we're looking at mast cells. And so mast cell activation syndrome is a situation where you get lots of allergic type reactions. You can have hives, you can have, and one of the easy ways to find out if you've got too much histamine in your system, take your finger and draw an S on your back and see if it lights up. It's not supposed to. If you draw an S on your back and the next thing you know, there's a great big red S on your back, you got way too much histamine in your system. And so that may be part of your problem. So identifying histamine excess, which will also create fatigue, which will also create generalized pain syndromes. So there's a lot of problems that we can see with histamine excess in the system with mast cell activation syndrome. In the other piece of the innate immune system in the central nervous system, the big piece is the microglia. My first book, Total Recovery, was actually pretty much entirely on the microglia, talking about it from an inflammatory standpoint. And the microglia is a number of things that can set them off, which is sleep disturbances, direct physical trauma, psychological trauma, all these toxins we've been talking about. And so the microglia need to be addressed. And in process of addressing the microglia, sleep, exercise, excellent anti-inflammatory for the central nervous system. But again, if you've got chronic fatigue syndrome, I don't want you crashing. So the mantra always is pacing, not pushing. Crashing is bad because crashing is more inflammation. But other things that you can do to help with the microglia, simple things like low-dose naltrexone. Now, naltrexone is a medication we use for treating drug overdoses, but we also use it to help alcoholics stay sober in higher doses, 50, 75 milligrams a day. Low-dose, somewhere between 1.25 and 4.5 milligrams a night can help in terms of reducing the impact of the microglia and reduce inflammation on the innate side of the immune system. 
So that can be effective. Actually, cannabis, there are cannabis cannabinoid receptors on the microglia and cannabis can also help reduce it. We don't want to do that in excess. That'll create other problems, but it does help reduce inflammation of the central nervous system. Exercises, as I said earlier, acupuncture has been shown to reduce overactivity of the microglia. So acupuncture is another thing that can be extremely useful in terms of treating these conditions. So we want to pay attention to that. When we get to the acquired immune system, life is a whole bunch more complicated. Obviously, you want to clean up everything before. You want to clean up all the toxins in the system. You want to clean up any infections that may be still present in the system. And then you've got to clean up the immune system itself. That's more complicated. You may need things like intravenous immunoglobins. You may need things like plasmapheresis or toximab. There's, there's a number of things that we can do, low-dose rapamycin. So, but that requires another level of expertise in terms of being able to treat that. Uh, but it can be life-saving and life-changing for people when that's recognized and it's addressed. The other thing is you've got to test for the right antibodies if you're testing. So the antibodies we're looking for are antibodies mostly to the limbic system of the brain. And those antibodies are not typically tested for in some of the encephalopathy panels. So we use the Cunningham panel for Moleculera, which specifically tests for those antibodies. We also use another test from Celltrans, which is a German company, which tests for peripheral antibodies, which we can see in fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. And they've done some beautiful studies looking at correlating those antibodies antibodies with symptoms and resolution of the symptoms with resolution of the antibodies. So you got to do the right test so you know where you're going and you got to treat things in the right order so that you get the best possible result. If you start with the immune system and there's an infection ongoing, you screwed it. Got to make sure there aren't any more bugs still going on. So if you've got Babesia, if you've got Bartonella, the tick-borne diseases tend to be the most insidious of them, but we've seen people with toxoplasmosis, which you can pick up from cats and fleas. We've seen people who have problems with mycoplasma pneumonia, which is a type of bacterial infections and with recurrent strep infections. Some of our kids, we have to have their tonsils removed. So there's lots of places that you need to make sure you look first. And you also need to see if the immune system itself is functioning and do the proper testing for that. So you got to be thoughtful. You got to throw a broad net for these really sick people. And then you're going to get much better results. Yeah. And I think too, it's like, you know, when people get that sick, it doesn't just happen overnight. And so I think like for everyone listening out there, you know, I know those of you that are listening to this podcast, you are very mindful of your brain health and your overall health. So using this as a warning of, you know, if you're not going to the bathroom every day, that is not normal. <laughs> going once right. every five days. I have people that come and tell me that all the time. Like, yeah, but my doctor said that that's normal because that's how I've always been. That is absolutely not normal. Having headaches, not normal. So all these things we need, it's like, what's possible if we actually started to not accept being sick? We have made being sick socially acceptable. So then we don't do much about it until we are chronic. And so that I feel like is a huge issue. And so just having people be like, oh, hey, something's not right right now. I need to do something. I just had COVID like three weeks ago. I say I had my booster because I got COVID. And, you know, I look at what I was doing prior to that. And for a couple of weeks, I was just like going, 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 kind of running myself down a little bit. Then I traveled, got COVID on my, my vacation, but within two and a half, three days, I was, you know, I was better, but I did lose my sense of smell because I was like tracking it because I'm a, I'm a total 
dork like that, but I was tracking it and I would lose my sense of smell for like an hour or two. And then I could smell a little bit and I was testing on lavender oil actually. And then I ended up, it was about eight hours of time where I lost my sense of smell, but you know, I wasn't going to accept that I had it. I was like, okay. So I made sure I went outside, put my feet in the grass. I got sunshine on my face. I made sure I was drinking water, put a little saltic salt in it keeping my minerals up, resting, doing all the things, you know, but a lot of people, they're not doing the things like I'm sick, call the doctor, get a pill. And we forget what nature and God has already put here for us. <laughs> to no, you're, you're absolutely correct. And there is so much, if you t- take care of yourself up front, you only have a couple of days of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. When you're not taking care of yourself up front, you can die. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so bodies are meant to heal. And the other thing to keep in mind is HIV. All right. And the reason I point to the human immune virus is because people die from HIV of diseases we can treat. But if your immune system isn't functioning, we can't help you. Right. So you need to have a healthy immune system in order to recover. And when you have a healthy immune system, you recover much faster. You need a healthy immune system to avoid getting cancer. Mm -hmm. That's the job of the immune system. They're constantly making cancer cells, but the immune system goes, I'm getting rid of that and throws it out. (laughs) So (laughs) how do we keep ourselves in optimal health so that, and we're paying attention to the early warning signs right? The fatigue, the sleep disturbances, the digestive issues. We're paying attention to all of that stuff and addressing it early on so that we're getting optimal results in the long run. And so taking things like quercetin with vitamin C can help tonify the immune system and help prevent and treat COVID if you should calm down with it. Using curcumin, turmeric, in order to help reduce inflammation in the body, extremely effective, both in central nervous system as well as peripherally in joints and stuff. So turmeric is, is, is another brilliant way to help reduce inflammation. Probiotics, making sure that you've got a wide diversity of gut flora. And the evidence to date is that probiotics just taken on a regular basis can help prevent disease. Part of your exam every year, if not twice a year, should be vitamin D. Vitamin D is deficient in the overwhelming majority of people I see, deficient being defined as below 30 nanograms per deciliter. I think the proper level of vitamin D from the studies I read should be probably closer to 50 to 80 nanograms per Mm -hmm. deciliter, okay? So even 30 is deficient for my book. But if your vitamin D levels are low, your immune system doesn't function well. You need normal vitamin D levels for your innate and your acquired immune system to function healthy. So simple test should be checked every year to make sure that your vitamin D levels are adequate. And you can take a supplement that'll take do the job. A nice antioxidant in the central nervous system also is melatonin. So I have people frequently taking melatonin anywhere from one to as high as 10 milligrams per, per an evening. The other thing that I like is magnesium. Magnesium is deficient in so many people, and it's so easy to replace. Now, there are different forms of magnesium. So the magnesium glycinate, magnesium citrate, Magnesium torate is the one I tend to use because it doesn't have impact on the gut. It does penetrate the blood-brain barrier much better. The brain needs lots of magnesium. The brain is the single most metabolically active organ in the body. How active? Yeah. So the average person in a day burns about 2,000 calories. Okay. How much does the chess master playing in a tournament burn in a four-hour tournament sitting there playing chess? Oh, probably yes. about 2,000 calories. <laughs> 5,000. Yeah. 5,000 calories. Our brain okay? is an energy sucker. <laughs> and so a patient of mine who's a chess master taught me this. And That's she told funny. me about it. 
And I said, because her, it's actually her son that's the chess master. And she told me this because they got to feed them the entire time they were they're sitting there playing. And so I looked it up, you know, trust but verify. And sure enough, four mm-hmm. to 5,000 calories just sitting there for four hours. So focused concentration. Yeah. And indeed, we find people. So one of my kids that I was working with was so sick that if he read for 10 minutes, he crashed. So what we had to do with him is find a point at which he could read, in which case he was reading for five minutes, and then enforce a 20-minute, 30-minute break. Then he could read for five more minutes because they didn't want him crashing. And as we treated him over time, gradually he improved. He's going to be graduating from Baylor next year. So life is good. That's exciting. Yeah. We put up with lots of stuff and we need to back up and say, okay, what's going on? And what can I do? Meditation is a lovely anti-inflammatory in the central nervous system. And I think should be part of everybody's daily routine Mm -hmm. in addition to exercise. If you have EDS, Ehlers-Danlos, which is unfortunately a diagnosis much too often missed. Ehlers-Danlos, Bighton scale, B-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. Again, something you can look up online, very easy. But Bighton, the Ehlers-Danlos is you are hyperflexible, all right? The extreme examples of this is the contortionist in the circus, but we have kids who frequently dislocate shoulders or fingers or hips. And in spite of this, no one's quite noticed the fact that, you know, can you bend forward, put your hands flat on the ground without bending your knees? Okay. Can you hyperextend your elbows, your knees? Can you, yep. Can you bring your thumb back to your wrist without screaming and creating a lot of pain and breaking things? Can you lift your fifth digit up at a 90 degree angle with your palm sitting flat on the table? Okay. These are the things we're looking for to define hyperflexibility. If you have EDS, that needs to be paid attention to because there's a lot of things that can go along with that, inclusive of mitral valve prolapse and potentially other things, because uh, 13 subtypes of EDS, some of which are vascular and create aneurysms. But the most common is hypermobile, and that will leave people in a great deal of pain or a lot of fatigue. And there's a lot we can do in terms of treating that. So one of the other things we do in addressing these things is we'll use prolotherapy. We use manual medicine in terms of helping these individuals recover. So you have to, you know, our center, we've got three physical therapists. We have a nutritionist. We have a psychotherapist. There's four physicians here and a nurse practitioner. And we have an acupuncturist herbalist. So we work as a team and we coordinate our efforts in terms of uh, helping people recover because it does take a village in order to talk about getting into optimal health. The other thing we can do with people is for mitochondrial repair. So using things like NMN, okay, Signal is the particular brand that I like, and I don't have any financial interest in the company, but that helps with DNA, with mitochondrial repair. And there are some really fascinating studies starting to emerge on this supplement, talking about improved muscle strength, improved muscle function and endurance and energy. And the military is looking into this very heavily because uh, they want their soldiers in optimal health. So using things like that, true niogen is a variation of a theme of this, uh, can also be very effective in terms of helping people regain their energy and their stamina. So there's lots of things we want to look at in terms of nutritional deficiencies, in terms of how your gut is behaving, and in terms of sleep, and in terms of toxins you may have been exposed to, and what needs to be uh, done to address that. Also, if you're in an ongoing situation that's toxic, you're in a marriage that's not good, you're in a relationship that's not good, that needs to be addressed. And we need to be honest and forthright in terms of that stuff because it has very significant impacts on our health. 
And so talking about that and being able to address that is crucial as part of your recovery to total health. If you're in a high stress environment at work, that is constantly tearing you down because, you know, you're, listen, in residency, if we worked a 60 hour week, we thought we were on vacation. 100 hour weeks were somewhat the norm. And it's not a healthy thing to do. <laughs> and it leads to some very bad decision making, unfortunately, as, as part of the process. So you have to be aware and taking care of yourself and force your sleep. And the other thing about sleep is you want to be sleeping the same time every night. If you start moving your cycle around, if you go to bed one night at nine o'clock and the next night at two in the morning, your immune system goes haywire. It can't tolerate that. It really needs a proper circadian rhythm to balance the immune system and come up with the ideal functioning for your immune system. So exercise, as we talked about, both aerobic and anaerobic. So doing weights does different things for you than aerobic exercise where you're working out with accelerated heart rate. 220 minus your age, 60, 80% puts you in a fairly aerobic heart rate range. But again, if you're crashing, I don't want you doing that. I want to pace you so that we're a little behind what you can do. So we're always building on it. Because if you crash, I've lost ground. We got to back up and start over. So pacing, not pushing is extremely important. And you want to be respectful to yourself in the process of exercise or anything else you do, right? So everything, anything worth doing is not worth doing to excess. <laughs> right. Anything like, yes. <laughs> right. So, and then the other thing on diet that's very interesting is my nutritionist has, has been pushing this is coffee. Cup of coffee a day is okay. Two cups, Okay. More than that, absolutely not. That will provoke yeast overgrowth in the gut. That can provoke gut dysbiosis. Lots of consequences of drinking too much coffee. So drinking one, two cups of coffee, it, and discussion. Yeah. There are teas also you could be drinking. But yeah. you want to pay attention to coffee. Coffee is filled with mold. Mm-hmm. There's a huge amount of mold in coffee beans. So if you're going to drink coffee, make sure you're getting mold-free. And unfortunately, that coffee available in most of the commercial uh, places of, where we can run in and pick up a cup of coffee, filled with mold. Yeah. And so we want to make sure that you're getting mold-free coffee and organic coffee. Because the other problem with coffee is it's very heavily farmed, pesticides. meaning that lots of pesticides, uh, lots of chemicals on it for the yield. So finding a coffee that's organically grown, legitimately organically grown, and mold-free tricky. There's only a couple of brands out there, but you can look them up on on the internet and find, just type in mold-free organic coffees and you'll get a list. Mm -hmm. And those are the coffees I would suggest that you drink and not the other ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you go and buy a coffee, you think one cup is one serving. No, (laughs) like about eight ounces is one serving. So a 16 ounce cup of coffee is literally two servings. (laughs) Yep. And we don't want to go past that. No, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. So he's, he's so great. diet, exercise, sleep, the basics that we know about, we always have to be paying attention to. And mm-hmm. then supplements designed for the individual. We want to be thinking about 
what makes sense for you because sometimes you'll take a supplement and upset your stomach. Well, pay attention to that. Yeah. That's not a good supplement for you. Mm-hmm. The other thing is you have to be careful what brands you're using. So melatonin, we've now had two studies separated by about five years that found that 75% of the melatonin products on the shelf do not have in it what that says it has in it. It has too yeah. much, it has too little or none. So yeah. you need to be making sure you're dealing with a reputable company. So it takes a little bit of work to figure out which companies you want to buy your supplements from. Same thing with vitamin D. Vitamin D can range anywhere from none to five times what it says is contained in a given capsule. Yeah. So the supplements that we formulate here at Happy Whole You go through rigorous testing. Our capsules, not only do we test all the raw batches because we get, you know, from all over the world, you know, our turmeric comes from India. Once it comes in, it's tested individually. And then once we make the mixture, the formula, it is tested to make sure what is on the bottle is literally in the capsule. And even our liquid line, because we have a liquid that has a melatonin in it. Like we had a time where there was about four to five months where we were sold out of our whole U, but we were only sold out because our second, the batch that we were going to go into, it had to go through rigorous testing and it is costly and it can be frustrating, but it is necessary. And so, you know, when I'm selling my product and I we're our I think our sleep formula is like $28.99 or $29.99. You know, you could probably find something for $22 on Amazon, sure. Right. <laughs> you want to get the right stuff. You want to get the right stuff. And I would, you know, it's like, so you know, it's it's you get what you pay for for sure. And then knowing the company and knowing the people behind the company and where your products are coming from is so crucial. I had no idea until I started to formulate my own stuff. And the reason I started to formulate my own stuff is because I was like, man, I'm sending people to the health food store to buy five or six things. Why hasn't anyone put these together? (laughs) And so can we do that safely and effectively? Oh gosh, we can with some of the products. And so that's, that's why I even got in the business of creating a line, but you, it has to go through testing. And there's some, some, some companies will slap a label on it. They actually get their product from China. They it gets shipped here. They put their label on it and then it's on sold on Amazon. It's sold wherever. And that's why you can pay, you know, 1299 or 2499 for these, some of these products. And they're not what you think they are. No, you're absolutely correct. I want to put in a plug real quick. So the Foundation for Total Recovery is a nonprofit 5013C that I created after I wrote my first book, Total Recovery. And I took a bunch of the proceeds from that book to to see that foundation, which has grown significantly since. It's an education and research foundation. And one of the things we've done is we've sponsored international conferences in conjunction with Georgetown. Uh, Last year's conference was attended by over 900 people. The programs are geared to both the public and the profession. So it's a fairly high level scientific meeting. We have people, last year we had people from Israel and Oxford and from Brazil and from Columbia, the top research institutes in the U.S. as well. This year, November 8, 9, 10, New Developments in Understanding Chronic Illness. We've got some of the best speakers in the country coming from Stanford, coming from Columbia, Johns Hopkins, Georgetown, Cornell, and also from Oxford again. So we've got, we're bringing together our best and our brightest 
from a whole diversity of backgrounds, so from pediatrics, from neurology, from nutrition, people who don't normally talk to each other, because we tend to be a bit siloed. We've now created a conference where we've got people talking to each other in a completely different understanding of this business of neuroinflammatory disease. The meeting is open to the public who can attend virtually and there are much reduced costs and physicians who will be attending in person. But we want to make sure that that information goes out to as many people as possible. And it's important that the the public be informed about this so they understand. And we have Lyme experts and we're covering the whole waterfront with psychiatrists but really excellent research about the latest, greatest. And we'll be talking about diagnosis for post-COVID syndrome and some of the work being done with cytokines. We're going to have some one discussion talking about stem cell research going on for treatment of autoimmune disease. There's some really exciting, groundbreaking stuff starting to happen with that. So this is New Developments in Understanding Chronic Illness. It'll be November 8, 9, 10. You can go to the Foundation for Total Recovery, brainonfire.org, and you can look at the symposium there. You can also look on the website medstarhealth.org forward slash NDUCI 2023 and sign up for the conference there. Look at the faculty. I hope you'll come doing this to create opportunities for people to learn. It costs a bloody fortune to put these programs on, but our job is research and education. From a research standpoint, one of the projects we're hoping to undertake in the near future is looking at kids who are in the in the juvenile detention system and kids who are in psychiatric hospitals, because we believe that as many as 40 to 50% of those kids are sick, not crazy, and yeah. that they need they need proper medical care in order for them to recover. I, I would we, say 100% of them are sick and not crazy. And you may be correct. We have to define it. You, we have to define it by certain research criteria. <laughs> but if we can even get to 40% of these kids, we can put yeah. them on a completely different trajectory. We can give hope where there was not any before, only despair. Yeah. So this is the work of the foundation. We hope you'll support us. We hope you'll attend the meeting. And I want people to have this information. So we're working as hard as we can to get it out both to the profession as well as to the public. Thank you. Dr. Kaplan, thank you so much. And I'll put all that information in the show notes. So those of you listening, you can click, you can join virtually and, or you can take a little vacay, have a little trip. So thank you so much for joining me. And I really appreciate all the work you've been doing. Dr. Murray, thank you for all the work you're doing and appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. So thank you. Thanks for joining us today, you guys, on this Happy Whole You podcast. We are so stoked that you are listening. And if you have questions or want to reach out to us, you can always email us at info at happyholeyou.com. And you know where to find us at Happy Whole You on Facebook and at Happy Whole You on Instagram. So have a wonderful day. Have a great week. And we will see you soon.